0: Uh, I'll confess that when I was a kid, I made horrible decisions. Uh, when I was an adult, I also did the same. But when I was a kid, uh, when I was a kid, I, I didn't, I didn't like enjoy joining in with what my dad was doing with my older brother and whatever project they were working on around the house. Now, I say around the house, but usually it's directly in the garage, particularly a car or a truck, and I just didn't enjoy it when I was a little kid. And... Uh, And now I'm like, ugh, I have to watch YouTube videos. You know, I had a dad when I was a kid. Now I have to watch other adult men tell me how to do something. And that's fine. I'm learning, you know. But what I realized is I wasn't wowed very much by those things. Why I didn't join those things is multiple reasons. I don't have time to go into all of it, but all my sin, but... One of them is I just wasn't wowed by what, what was happening. I wasn't wowed by the process. I wasn't wowed by the the engineering, the, the ability, the the mechanics. Uh, and so I didn't find it interesting. I find it exciting, thrilling to, to join in. And then this week I'm I'm doing stuff around the house and I'm talking to my boys about this, even about uh, me growing up and saying, hey, there's some times that I wish I would just stayed around my dad so I would have learned things even though I didn't like it. So you, don't, you may not like this, let I me mean, just stay around so that you can learn and pick up or, or be around. And then, and then, you know, I'm, I'm about three hours into a seven hour project that should have only taken one and <laughs> they're no longer, they're no longer around. You know, I didn't, I didn't really wow them with what I was doing. I went wow them with the mechanics. That's not a big deal, but you know, it's a, a fan and a heater and a light in our bathroom. For us, it's magic, you know? So to install that, I didn't I did show them, like, why this is cool and why this happens, how this works. And so they left quickly, quite quickly. But would check in. They would check in, very nice, guys. Very nice to check in every now and then. Uh, but I, I think about that. And I think about the times that ha- has happened and the time that's happened for me and my boys, uh, when we get done we turn and we look usually at the project or the thing that we were working on and say that was cool like we it works now or we finished that or we fixed that it's like yeah we did we did that together there's something about working with your dad now i know i'm speaking very specific language and i know ladies that may feel exclusive but but stay with me okay I wasn't wowed. I usually do it. Then I didn't wow my kids. Now, Natalie read John chapter 5, starting in verse 31. I want to back up to verse 16. If you have a Bible, John five sixteen. If you don't, there should be one around you, in the chair underneath you. Um, if you don't have a Bible at all, take that home with you. You can have that Bible. John 5. If you've never looked at the Bible, go about three-quarters of the way into it. You'll start seeing Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, John. John 5, verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking All the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. All right, to orient you a little bit, we backed up to even to get to verse 31, to orient, but to even orient here. Right before this, the Jewish leaders were angry and trying to attack Jesus. Why? Because he healed a cripple man. A man who had been crippled for 38 years. Jesus healed. And they're like, let's kill him. The guy that walks around and brings healing to people. People that no doctors can help. That we've had to relegate to the margins, and they've had to uh, just kind of feed off, not even get to walk through the harvest and pick up the scraps of the harvest. They have to wait for someone to pick up the scraps and then hand them to them so they can survive. That's what they've been relegated to. Jesus comes along, heals this man. He can get up and walk, even work, help, provide, serve now in this society. And they're like, kill that doctor. This is voodoo. This is terrible. That's not actually what they're saying. What they're saying is they healed him. Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. Kill him. He brought healing on the rest day. Murder. That's their logic. And his defense is you believe God is working on the Sabbath. Otherwise, the universe would unravel. And no, I'm working as well on the Sabbath because God is my father. That's what he says. And more than just attack him, they want him dead because he's making himself equal with God. Now, if you don't know anything about this culture, why? Why the outrage? Why, why the move towards death? Well, the Israelite history, one of their frequent recitations Recitations, uh, <laughs> when they're frequent, uh, quotes that they would say often, recite to one another, is Deuteronomy six four. Before you put up their max kids, do you know this. Anybody know Deuteronomy six four? Want to start it out here? I saw you, hero Israel, the Lord, our God the Lord is one alright Max put up there we're going to read it kiddos if you can read that's not it well we'll take that off I'm sorry Max if I gave you the wrong slides alright then I will quote it for you what is also known as reciting here we go Deuteronomy 6 4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The Israelites were known for their fierce monotheism. There's only one God. The nations around us might have four to 600 gods. We have one. We pledge allegiance to one. We worship one. There's actually only one. And when they drifted and began to worship other gods, do you remember where we've been in Judges? What happened? What happened when they worshiped God and replaced them or worship God and add a bunch of other gods to their worship? The Lord sends them into exile, into captivity. And so they're outraged because God is God. I'll let you read again, kids. Can you hear it? Read it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord. So that's why they're outraged. There's no other in their past in their history no no there was a being that tried to make himself equal with God and he got kicked out of heaven that's Lucifer so it's it's insanity it's blasphemous it's arrogant it's demonic to claim to be on equal ground as God with God And so if people begin to worship Jesus as God, the Jewish leaders believe they'll be thrown into exile, into captivity because of their false worship. So because of all this, he, Jesus, must die because he healed a crippled man on the Sabbath and made himself equal with God. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. He's leading people astray. We must kill him. And so with this outrage and planned judgment, Jesus, in John 5, is essentially on trial here. And what he does is testifies on who he is by explaining the father and son relationship. He pulls back the veil and unpacks how the Lord is one, but he is the son of the father. And that's what he does from verses about 20 to 31. Speaks of their relationship. It, it, it alludes to what he's going to speak of in John 14 and John 17 and, and unveil even more of, of the relationship of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Of their relationship, of their love, of their mutual adoration, of their joy. To try to sum it all up, I'll just quote a succinct from Delighting the Trinity, Mike Mike Reeves. He says, for eternity, the Father so loves the Son that he excites the Son's eternal love in response. that's, That's what it is. But then he goes on to explain this cascading waterfall of like, this is what love is. And so he says again, for eternity, the Father so loves the Son that he excites the Son's eternal love in response. Christ, so loves the church that he excites our love in response the husband so loves his wife that he excites her love to him back to lift him back such as the spreading goodness that rolls out of the very being of this God that's the veil that, that Jesus is pulling back and veiling of like this is who the father and son are this is what their relationship looks like and what it looks like is working together out of love for one another. Working together out of love for one another. Now, Jesus continues to unpack his defense here while he's on this quasi-trial. And after his testimony about the Father and Son, he, he essentially calls witnesses to, to the stand. It's Like, okay, you're, you're putting me on trial. Let me call some witnesses. Look at verse 31. All right. Think about him as a little lawyer. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. You know that. You know what he's saying. If only one person tells you the story, how reliable is that story? Depending on that person, right? Nowadays, like, we won't do anything based on someone's word. We need it captured in video. You've seen how many people have said things, and then it's on body cam footage. You're like, ooh, that's not what happened. That's not what you said. That's not what I thought was going to happen, right? He say, if, if I say this by myself, hmm, not true. 32, there's another one who bears witness about me, and I know that that testimony that he bears about me is true. Now, he's not saying that his own witness is not intellectually or theoretically or actually true in itself. Of course it's true. Of course it's true. But he knows if a uh, he alone witnesses about himself, they are less likely to believe he's speaking the truth. He knows. They'll have reason to question if he's trustworthy. So here he goes with first witness, first 33. You sent to John, and he is born witness to the truth, not that the testimony... That I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. First witness, John the baptizer, the one you respected. You knew there was something special and raw and authentic about him. So what did the most recent prophet say? The one you respect. He said, I'm the Lamb of God. He said, I'm the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. John testifies. Verse 36, I'm not done. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has Sent me. What does that mean? Crippled people are walking. Kids on the brink of death are now playing soccer. (laughs) It's equivalent. Okay. Water is turning into merlot. My works testify. Right. Okay. I've got John next. Next uh, witness to the stand. The works I've done, you've seen them. You've heard them. That's all you guys have been talking about. Not done. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word <laughs> abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Man. He's saying, in essence, I'm on trial. I'm on trial. You're the ones that have never seen the Father. You're the ones that never heard the Father. You're you're the ones that haven't fed on his word like bread daily and only done the father's will i'm on trial but think about this what did the father bear about jesus well at jesus baptism kid owes any kid do you know what the father said about the son at Jesus' baptism yes ariana say it again ariana louder So the Father testifies. The Father testifies. I testify. John the Baptist testifies. My works testify. The Father testifies. Later on, he'll bring it back up again in John 8. John eight seventeen. he says it this way in this argument. He says, even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I'm the one who testifies about myself and the Father who sent me testifies about me. And then he's about to say, the scriptures also testify me, right? You, you poured over them, scoured over them, trying to find uh, God, trying to find out really divinity and deity and, and maybe even begin to worship the scriptures, but all of them were pointing to me. That's what he said. So he's saying, myself, which on the baptizer, the Father, the scriptures, so many witnesses pointing to Jesus. But in John 8, I just love the thrust of is there any other credible witnesses that you want to hold? (laughs) If, If the law requires two to confirm a story, which two beings in all of the cosmos do you want would require to really confirm a story for you? And Jesus says, It's me and the Father. If you want the most credible witness, I'll give you two. And then you get to John 17 and what he says if you want the most credible witness, I'll give you three. And I'll send you. I'll send him to be with you to comfort you not not to give you maybe what we imagine when we think about comfort luxury but i will comfort you as i call you to come and die and to pour out your life like i've poured mine meaning just as i this is jesus speaking just as i got to go to work with my dad now we, the three of us, Father, Son, and Spirit, are pulling you uh, into all of this work where we get to work together out of love for one another. That's what we get to do. We get to witness. We get to testify. Now, you, you, you may not be a Christian, You may think you're a Christian, but you may be really wrestling with that. Or maybe you say it because your parents are, you say it because it's default and you're not something else, but like the grace of God has not collided with your heart. And so let me be honest in the room. I know that some of the stuff in the Bible is hard to get your mind around. And you may be skeptical of the church or the Bible or of Jesus' claims or of our genuineness. And we get that. But we believe we're a place where we can be honest with you and you can be honest with us about your doubts and unbelief. And we'll come alongside and try to help and help you wrestle through your questions, but can I be lovingly blunt with you this morning? Your skepticism, your indifference, your apathy on who Jesus is, is a form of passing judgment on Jesus. It's you setting yourself up as the drunk driver yelling at the cop that just pulled you over. Like, why are the lights on? They're so bright. What are you doing? Like, why are you yelling at the cop? And the wild part of your judgment of Jesus is that it doesn't accomplish anything at all. Meaning, you can judge, you can make a judgment, you can decide on a verdict of Jesus, but it doesn't affect his status, it doesn't sentence him to obscurity, it doesn't affect his credibility, he's already died and came back to life and ascended back to the right hand of God the Father, what really matters is his judgment of you, that is what affects, affects your now and your forever, Meaning, you're missing out on real life and real love now. And you will receive judgment in the future. And so Jesus invites you, hear my word and believe him who sent me and receive eternal life. Hear the testimony, myself, John, my works, the Father, the Scriptures, the other people in this room that have experienced the reality of Jesus. Believe with us. Put your faith in Jesus. Say yes. Yeah. And then, Christian, if you're a Christian, you are a witness you are. You have experienced meeting Jesus. The Spirit has opened your eyes to see the reality of Jesus. You are a witness. My question, though, is what kind? If it is true you are, this is your identity, then the question is what kind of witness are you? Are we? A witness, like What kind? True? Coherent? Passionate? Or maybe obscure? Vague? Closed off? What did I say about the father and son's relationship? It looks like working together out of love for one another... What does you, us, our relationship with the Trinity look like? Working together out of love for one another. We work together to testify, to witness about Jesus, where our lives and our our mouths speak of His goodness. Where we share humbly, led by the Spirit, ready to give an eyewitness account. Ready to give a reason for our hope. Ready to be called to the witness stand. to say, "This is what I've seen, this is what I've heard, this is what I've experienced." He came, he touched me, he healed me, He saved me, He rescued me. There's none else. You should put your faith in him as well. We're all witnesses. We work together to testify about Jesus. Witnesses tell people witnesses tell people we witness Jesus we tell people about Jesus. That's my logic. Witnesses tell people we witness, we have witnessed if you're a Christian you're still witnessing Jesus in our midst working in you and us. That so we tell people about Jesus. Now that, that's our rallying cry for 2024. Is that we would say, hey, we've grown in our identity. We've grown as disciples. We've grown as a church in Fort Worth and a church in Alito. We've grown in delighting the Trinity. These past six years, we have. There's a hundred anecdotal stories I could give you. So just trust me. I, If you've been looking at the emails, you've heard a few of them this month, right? We've grown in cultivating deep friendships. We have. Are we perfect? No. Is it difficult and does it feel like the longest road in the world? Yes, it does sometimes. I get it, right? Not most of us showed up here with high emotional intelligence and, you know, strong, healthy relationships from our upbringing and long-standing relationships. Okay, I don't know why I said all that. That wasn't like a, (laughs) was a little two-pointed, sorry. (laughs) But we've grown in those things. But Just on that idea of like a church disciple is always, those three things every church talks about those three things in just different ways but the third thing hey this is a real weakness that we can also observe of our bold evangelism so let's grow on that this year let's say hey we want to be ready and available to be called on at any time to witness to testify About the glory and goodness of Jesus. That we're ready to give an eyewitness account. Not that we have to conjure up something. Not that we have to know all the apologetics. Not that we have to uh, uh, be crippled by fear of what person might say. You witnessed something. Tell them about it. And in the most relativistic culture in human history, you actually shouldn't be worried about the consequences, right? They're like, oh, if it works for you, it works for you. Okay. Now, You need to be ready to talk about that and work through that and say, hey, relativism. is All right, but you just need to tell them about Jesus. Witness. Witnesses tell people, and we've witnessed Jesus, and so we tell people about Jesus. Now, two particular things I think that can look like this year. Two very particular things in application. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm telling you, put your faith in Jesus. If you're a Christian, this is what I'm asking. I'm asking you to understand that we can't reach everyone, but you can reach one more. We can't reach everyone. You can't reach everyone, but you can reach one more. Meaning, there can be a person that you commit to praying for. There can be a person that you commit reaching out to. There can be a person that you grow in your friendship. There can be one person that you start reworking your schedule so that your hobbies align with their hobbies or or some of the times that uh, things that you do align with them so that you can do those things together not that you're doing a bunch of new different things but you're doing what you've been doing differently with the intentionality to actually reach that person so they can see and then be a witness of Jesus themselves and so you you can reach one more at one point you were that one more for someone at one point, someone was praying for you. At one point, someone was uh, thinking about you. One was Someone was talking to you. Someone was opening the scriptures or telling you about Jesus or trying to start a conversation or start a friendship with one. You or that. That's how this thing has got to this point. That's how Jesus has progressed his movement through the ages is by his witnesses that have experienced his grace want to just tell everyone about his grace. Second thing, we practice generous hospitality. There is, I'll get into this more throughout this whole year, but with the context, with our culture, with the aversion, with the difficulty, the wisest thing we think we can grow in is bringing people that don't know Jesus to our table and eating meals with them. Inviting them into our homes, inviting them into our spaces, to welcome them, to be hospitable to them, to welcome the stranger, to welcome the foreigner, to make those feel welcome in your home so that you can shine the light of Jesus in the dark places of your neighborhood, your workplaces, your family, testify and then not really an action item. we'll talk about those two throughout the whole year but not an action item, but i'll just say this what i want though is our posture to be we get to tell people about jesus like for the long haul i want just to be known for hey that church tells people about jesus i want us to be able to say hey we tell people about jesus i don't want that to be aspirational in value and be like hey one day we will I wanted to be able to look and say, hey, as a church, just collectively, we tell people about Jesus. Does that mean everyone here is strongly high-gifted evangelists? No. We know that. But we tell people about Jesus. I, I want, but I, I want that, that posture to be we get to. That's what I, I, can't, I can't believe that I get to tell people about Jesus. Like, I Uh, the things I get most thrilled about, most excited about, I usually tell and what people experience. Why? Because C.S. Lewis uh, figured out in the Bible that, hey, joy isn't really fulfilled until it's shared. And so the things that you found the most joy in that restaurant, that movie, that story, that book, you find the most joy is when you tell someone about it and they experience that joy, then you're like, yes, the both of us get it. We get to tell people about Jesus. We get to witness. We get to witness. Kids, this is you too. This isn't one of those later on the road things. Not much of life is as a Christian. If you're a Christian as a kid, you get to tell people about Jesus as well. And that's some of the coolest stories we've heard in our church is you, kiddos, praying for talking to, witnessing to friends and adults about Jesus. I love it. I'm going to pray. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this. for your grace to us. For you moving towards us. And then as we respond this morning, I pray for help. I pray for your spirit to guide, to lead, convict, to teach, to woo, to excite, Father what I really pray is, pray is that we'd be wowed by this work. We'd be wowed by Jesus. Wowed because of his works, and then join in with you in in your work. Reconciling and transforming lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.